Beloved, if you have your Bible with you there this morning, please let's turn to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Today we're going to read from verse 4 down to verse 20. And of course, I will not be looking at all those verses, but we can read them together in the context. Okay? Beginning at verse 4. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. Even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith Enoch was taken away and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith Noah, after he was warned about what yet was not seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received the power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. All these died in faith, although they did had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac, he received the promises, and yet he was offering up his one and only son, the one in whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God was able even to raise someone from the dead, therefore he, to, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. We'll leave it there. Again, we remember always looking back before we look forward, remembering where, why this book was written and what has been said. 
At this time, the, Hebrews were, the Hebrew Christians were slipping in their commitment. We know that this was wrong. We believe this was around the time when Saul, who became Paul, was pouring out persecution to the church. The, the, the Jewish Christians had been Christian long enough that the differences between their new culture, the New Testament culture, and the Old Testament culture, they were beginning to be seen. Things were different. When Passover or feast time or sacrifice time came, the Jewish Christians, they no longer tramped up the mountain, up to the, the mountain, it's the city, with the sheep or the doves, the lamb, to offer up sacrifice because they said, no, our sins have been forgiven in Jesus. Jesus is our sacrifice. And this caused somewhat of a problem with the unconverted Jews. They were offended. And remember Jesus' warning to his, his followers, his disciples, that he had not come there in peace but a sword, that, the, that their enemies would be the enemies of their own household, their own family, that father would turn against son, mother against daughter, brother against brother, and so forth. And we see that in that time that there was a cultural schism. People who had converted to the faith in Christ were now different. And there was pressure now being put upon these Christian Jews to conform, to go back, to believe in Jesus, but also to keep the traditions of the elders. Jesus plus something else. So these people were in a delicate situation. And the writer of the Hebrews, or the speaker, we, he, this is a sermon. I've told you before, I don't believe that this is a letter. It's a sermon. It's a communication from a pastor to his people. And he is trying to encourage them in the way of faith. And he's dealt with the issues of the legitimacy of Jesus' priesthood. He's dealt with the, 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 the issues of that Jesus is greater than the temple, greater than Moses, greater than the angels. Jesus is the way. He is the one true Messiah. And our hope is to be in Him and in Him alone. And so he gets to this question of, he's cemented in the mind of the people. It's by faith that we are saved. But then he has to illustrate to them what faith looks like. We know that the Judaizers, these Jewish Christian conservatives, we don't want to put them that way, they were, they were Christians, but they wanted to keep the traditions of Israel. And so they were trying to incorporate, to bring in the, the traditions of Israel, the washings, the circumcisions, the whole nine yards, everything, the whole book of traditions and we know that Paul and some of the others stood against them. And here in this, he is trying, this, the writer of Hebrews, or the Holy Spirit through the writers down to us, he is trying to communicate to his people, the Jewish people, but not only the Jewish people, to you and to me, what does faith look like? You can say that you believe, and we know that there were three groups, don't we, that he was writing to, those who were Jewish, actual real Jewish Christians, those who have been converted, those who confess Christ, but there was a, a lacking of inward reality. They were outward Christian, but inward there was something missing. 
They were, we would call them nominal Christian, perhaps the children of the first generation, perhaps just people who, who saw that they were nice and wanted to be a part. We know that this happened in the first generation. I think Aeneas and Sapphira, these people, you remember the, they, they did the business dealings and shortchanged the, the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit <laughs> struck them dead. We know that this kind of thing is happening in the early church. And, he's writing, and then the third group are the Jewish unbelievers. They're Jewish. They're part of the synagogue, part of the, the congregation, but they're not believers. They're Jews by birth and nothing else. They just do things because it's the culture. We, we live in Finland, we can relate to that, can't we? We live in a nominal religious culture where people baptize their babies just out of cultural expectations. You do it because Momo wants you to. And you're afraid if you don't, people will think you're weird. You send your child to confirmation school and to be confirmed because you don't want them to miss out on the party. You want them to receive the gifts. You want them to be able to get married in church for the lovely photographs so you can dress up all nice and look respectable. And people will say nice things about you. That people won't think you're weird. So there's a pressure going on here. And he's writing to them. And now in this chapter 11. He is illustrating what a life lived by faith looks like. And in the beginning we saw in verses 4 down to verse 6. We saw him fire out these three examples. It's the first part of this. Well from verse 1 down to verse 6. is the first part of this chapter. And in these three examples he gives Abel, the first real man of faith. And how he worshipped by faith. Faith in Christ is a worshipful faith. It is a faith that worships correctly and is done by the word. Both Cain and Abel worshipped. Both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices. Both Cain and Abel were religious men. But one did what was expected and required. And the other brought his best that he thought was the best. One was approved by God and the other wasn't. The one who wasn't killed the one who was. The second then being Enoch. And in Enoch we see the example of man who lives his life. He walked in a way that was In the faith. He lived his life day and daily. The Bible says that he walked in such a way that it pleased God. Faith is consistent and constant. It's day and daily. It's required of us. Not just the special times of the special ceremonies. Christmas, Easter and Midsummer or whatever. It's not just on a Sunday. We come to church. It's day and daily. And that faith is to walk with God. Your life, Christian, not just a Christian man, but all of us, Christian. You are to walk and to know your God. The idea to walk is is like Adam walking with God in the garden. Not that you walk with God. Please don't think Kyle is talking about the visitations of Jesus walking with us. I think I told you guys about the man who once told me that Jesus appeared to him as he was shaving in the bathroom. And I I was like, you're a liar. You're a liar. I was shaving and Jesus appeared to me in the bathroom and told me to use this kind of soap. 
nonsense. Absolute, absolute nonsense. And uh, it's just nonsense, just liar. But he needed to be spectacular. So I'm not saying that kind of walking, but day and daily we live consciously. Jesus said, if you love me, you will walk in my ways. It says in the Old Testament, if you, you will walk in my way, if you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, I will give you a place amongst these here. There is that promise, that expectation. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel and teach them to obey all the things that I have commanded you. The idea is that we are a worshipful people. We're a, a dutiful people who walk, who live their lives according to the teachings of God, not according to our imaginations or personal preferences. And then, of course, the third one was Noah. And that he did works of faith. A living faith is something that produces works. It's not stale and dead. It's not invisible and hidden. It produces something that is seen in this world as a proclamation of the gospel and as a condemnation against the world in which we live. A true and living faith is a worshipable faith, faith. A faith that walks daily in the presence of God. And thirdly, a faith that produces works in this world. And so then we come now to today, into this new section where the speaker, the writer, is beginning to touch upon Abraham, the father of the faithful. In Jewish thinking, Abraham was the main man. Remember the Jews said, Abraham is our father, but as for you, we don't even know who you are. Remember they were making veiled suggestions about Jesus' parenthood. We know who our father is. Do you know who your father is? Because remember Mary was pregnant with Jesus before Joseph and Mary were married. So there were question marks. Just who is his father? Joseph was living in that town over there. And she was pregnant when she was over there. And so when Jesus is talking to and they make this accusation against Jesus. We know who our father is. He's Abraham. Who's your dad? Meaning, are you not some sort of half caste? Are you not some sort of illegitimate child so the Jews loved to draw their heritage from Abraham and it was common then to think that Abraham was justified not by faith that concept wasn't even real he was justified by his works by circumcision by him being faithful doing things then by doing things he was then awarded his righteousness you know the works before the faith. But here in this, the writer is showing that the faith came before the works. And the works are the indication of the faith. Not the other way around. The faith did not come after the works. Here we see this man, Abraham. And I like Abraham. This week I did a, not a deep dive. I can't say it was a deep dive. It was like an hour or two. Into Abraham and his history and where he came from. And if you go on YouTube, there's some really great documentaries all about him. Abraham, we know, was a man who came from the city of Ur. Way out there, Mesopotamia. Somewhere between the Euphrates and, and the, the Tigris. About 150 miles from modern day Babylon. 
the archaeological digs that go on there demonstrate that this was a massive city. It wasn't like Esse or Bernes. It wasn't a small, tiny community of no significance. We're talking a massive city, walled city with square neighbourhoods. The British Library or the British Archaeological Library, museum, library thing, they have entire wings, like you can go virtual, walk through them, where they have tablets, clay tablets collected from the city of Ur. They, they discovered thousands, tens of thousands of... There's so much that they still haven't taken the majority of them from the city. These people loved their records. They were a city of administrators and recorded everything. The librarian of the museum, who's a wonderfully eccentric looking man, I can't remember his name, but he has white hair like this and a huge scraggly beard. He looks like an older version of Miska actually, but with white beard, you know. And he's like a scarecrow and he's awfully animated. He loves his work. And he said that he, in his opinion, that the city of Ur was a city of librarians. They just loved their bills. And, and it took a long while for them to interpret the language and be able to understand it. For decades they couldn't understand the language. But now they've begun to break down. But there's so much material they haven't translated it all yet. This is a city that was there for hundreds of years. Massive city. A city-state. They discovered that it had public baths. You know, it was like, like swimming pools where anyone could go. It had public transport, horses and carts that people could jump on and they would take you to the line, like buses as we would call them today. It had underground sewage systems, something that we thought wasn't in existence until the Romans, but we've now discovered that the city of Ur had them thousands of years before the Romans had. They had a... a Private police force who kept the city, like in the modern day police forces we understand it today. Unbelievable. Their mathematics and their, their system of law was comparable to today. It wasn't some sort of city where they were all running around in, in lion skins with big clubs with fluffy hair beating the women on the head. This was a sophisticated city. This is, think. New York. Think San Francisco. Think Paris. Maybe Helsinki. No, no, no. But this is a sophisticated city. This is a place that is leading the world in technology. And Abraham and his family live there. Also, it's a pagan city. Abraham at this time is a pagan. He is not a Christian. He is not a Jew. He has no concept of these things. These things don't exist yet. He is a pagan. And I, one of the men that I read this week said, it is amusing to think that the Jews would identify Abraham as our father, but Abraham himself comes from a pagan background. And they would take that title, Abraham is our father, to show that they were true, pure blood Jews. When Abraham himself was a, had come from pagan roots. And they were like, it shows the ignorance of these people. That they didn't recognize that even in themselves they shared blood with the pagans. That there was no genetic difference between them in that sense. 
Abraham lived there, and for all extent, we don't know any of the details, but because of the uh, of his lifestyle afterwards, we understand that he must have been successful there. He must have been wealthy there because when he leaves, he doesn't just leave with a donkey, I know, and, and a stick, and the kind of you new. Know, him and his wife with a little plastic bag. I know they didn't have plastic bag, a skin bag, whatever they had. We're talking that this would have been a caravan. It was his household, his father's household, his relative's household. It was a major leaving. We're told that he leaves from there and he goes all the way across to the Mediterranean to a land, to a different land, a land that, that wasn't as... Successful as his own, they would. They were still the the Hittites would have been the greatest empire at that age, rough and ready and barbaric. It, it would be like someone from here going to America during the eighteen hundreds to the uh, Native American. I wanted to call them Indians, but we have Indians here. The Native Americans. Going to the Native Americans and trying to build a new life somewhere in the frontier of America. And that's what it was like for Abraham and his family as they went there. The Bible says that, that Abraham, as he was, when he was called, by faith, Abraham, when he was called. And when I looked into that expression, uh, MacArthur really points out that it says that as, as he was being called, it can be translated as while he was being called. It's an ongoing call. It wasn't that God appeared to him and said, go. But rather, it's the, the idea that there was this ongoing calling. He was being drawn. There was this motivation, this heart's desire to move forward, to go somewhere. And the Bible says, God was calling him. And so the writer here in the Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, in this, he, he is showing to us what a complete life, a complete what the what the man of faith looks like. He's using Abraham because Abraham is the most recognized character in Israel's history. And he goes right back to the beginning of Israel and says, This is how it has been from the beginning. When God deals with a man, he calls him. Abraham didn't one day discover something in a book and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go over there and start again. But rather God called him. There was a calling. Now whether that is as a Christian being called to somewhere else, but also in the sense of being awakened. God chose Abraham. Abraham did not choose God. There was a moving towards him. A drawing. Now, I, I firmly believe that as God awakened him, called him forward, there was an immediate response, a quickening, uh, a getting ready, an immediate obedience. It says here he obeyed the first reaction to that calling from God was that he obeyed. And once again, we see that true faith is marked by obedience. Obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the call of God. 
we are called out of this world. And I think that's a great illustration of the Christian modern life. Abraham was called out of where he was born, grew up, the country, the, the city-state in which he lived, this, this prosperous society. And God called him from that world. He had to leave it behind and never go back. And you and I as Christians, we may not be called from the country that we grew up in. Some of us have been. But, we, but God didn't save us and then say, you know, leave. But we are called to leave the world in which we live, lived in. The, the, the value system, the things that are, were important to us as non-believers. We're not called to be different To leave them behind. The Bible says that in Christ we are new creations. The old is left behind. And a Christian life. A life that is marked by faith. Is a life that is continually moving away from that that world into which we were born. It no longer has a hold upon us. We have become something different. Again, as I was thinking about this this week. I thought of John Bunyan's Christian. You know the, 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 the story Pilgrim's Progress? And in Pilgrim's Progress there is a character. His name is Christian. And he lives in a place called the City of Destruction. And he goes through an experience and he is awakened to the faith. And then he begins a pilgrimage, a, a journey. It's fantastic. We have the book at home, big giant one. Some of you have seen it. And he is pilgriming, journeying to that city of salvation, the celestial city. That's what it's called, the celestial city. And he goes through all these journeys on the way. But the first thing he must do is leave the city of destruction. He leaves all those things behind. And in that story, he leaves his wife, he leaves his children. And he, 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 because he does not want to die in the city of destruction. He wants to be free from the great burden of sin that he's carrying. And he is called on. Beloved, that's you and I, all of us as believers. We were called out of something and we were called to something. You and I were may not called to a promised land Essay is not the promised land, you know. Uh, Swedish-speaking Finland is not the promised land. It is a blessed place, truly. But it is not the promised land. It is not the final destination. For we who are believers, our destination is the city that is to come, whose architect, builder is God. A life that is to come... But we are to live our lives in a transient, in a, in a way that we are always moving forward in our faith. From glory unto glory. Just as Abraham was called and obeyed. That's why I'm always jubilant. You know, I have a question mark about people who claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, come to faith, but then there is no great change in their life. They still dabble in the things of the world uh, and they still are able to partake in the darknesses. 
I'm not saying that we, they struggle with sin. That's, we all struggle with sin. But I'm talking about people whose consciences are not even tickled. They see no sin in it. They see no problem in it. They rejoice in it. I could say, but this goes on YouTube, so we can't be really careful in the things that we say these days. In this time of general, general gender neutrals, in this time of fluid sexuality, in this time of questionable marriage values, where someone who professes to have faith in Christ, to be a new creation, to have being possessed by the Holy Spirit, then lives in a way that is shameful even to demons and dark things. Beloved, we as Christians, we have been called. And we must obey. We must live our lives as Abraham did, as people who are not attached to this life, to the things around us. We don't get involved in political stuff. I know that's difficult for some people. But this world and all the things in it has no attraction to us. We are not of this world. We are of the world that is to come. And our values, we we must always see ourselves as people passing through. In this portrait of a man of faith, of a, of, a, of a person of faith, the first thing we see is that it is a transient, a, a pilgrimage. One that we are called to, one we must be obedient in. God called him and he came. And he set it for a place that he did not know where it was. Can you imagine you, you having to tell that to your father? You know, Dad, we're going to leave all the things we have. This really comfortable city. This really safe city. And if you see the, the, uh, the diagrams of it, it had like, like reservoirs and lakes around it. It was, must have been a really beautiful city. The, the, the walls of it had lapis lupin. Is that what it's called? The blue stone from um, Afghanistan in it. And it was just looked spectacular. Big... Big, not a pyramid, but a ziggurat, like a, a flat, you know, like boxes on top of boxes. Beautiful city. It must have been a beautiful city. Bricks, not, not mud or straw or whatever, but they had actual real clay bricks mixed with, um, begins with B, biz, uh, some sort of oil product that's bitumen. I can't remember, but it's like a glue, natural glue they put together. It's from an oil-based thing that comes out of the ground, okay? I don't know what it's called, but it's what it's, I, can't, I can see the word, I can't pronounce it. That's the word. It was so technically advanced for its time that when archaeologists discovered it in the 1800s, when the British discovered it in the 1800s, they then covered it up again because they thought it was a modern city. They were, they were looking for ancient ruins and treasures. And when they dug up this city... They thought, oh, this must have been a modern city that a sandstorm covered because it was so, so perfect and, 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 and right. So they covered it up again and said, no, it's just scrap. It wasn't until the 1930s that somebody went, well, let's have a look at that again. And then they realized, oh, this is the city of Ur. Wow. God called them and they obeyed. 
Our faith must be marked by obedience. And that obedience is to depart from this world, from the things of this world, from the things that would bind us, the value systems of this world, self, that which is good for me, me, my, and I only. He left and he went to a place where that he did not yet know. And you and I, though we might not know what the future holds, we are commanded to move forward in faith. And get scary. Faith is scary. I like to know everything. I'm a bit of a control freak in myself. And I have to work hard at letting other people do things. That's just who I am. I work hard at trying to be better. Not very good at it. We are called to walk by faith and not be in control even of our, our circumstances. We may not know what tomorrow brings, but we know that our God is in control. We know that he's calling us on. We don't know what the end will look like, but we are going to be obedient in the day and in the daily. The Bible says here that he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents as Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the promise, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs. But he was looking forward to the city and the foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Could you imagine being in the land, like, you know, as a foreigner? Someone who from not from that country, and you're walking around, and he did well for himself. He was very business savvy, and his, he was very... Capable, we understand from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and him rescuing Lot from the, the seven kings that he was very capable. He had a military force, he could have taken the land by force at any time, but yet he was living in the land that was owned by others. God had promised to give it to him, and yet he did not take it. He did not aggressively move. The, the, well, God has said all of this is mine and I have the strength to take it. Therefore, I will. I remember I had a conversation with a Muslim man many years ago. He and I walked along the beach and, and he explained to me the, the differences between the Muslim view of predestination and the Christian view of predestination. And he said, well, as Muslims, we believe that if you have something... And I want it. You don't have the power to defend yourself. Then and I have the power to take it from you. Then it must be Allah's will that I have it. And I looked at him and said, do you really believe that? And he said, ah, it's, it's easy. If you have something and I want it, and you don't have the power to defend it and I can take it from you. It's Allah's will that I have it. But as Christians, we don't believe that. We don't do that. We should not do that. Sadly, in history, we have done that. But as Bible-believing Christians, we see from the example of Scripture that we wait upon the Lord for God to bring about this change, to deliver the kingdom into our hands. We cannot make the kingdom come by force. The Lord's prayer isn't thy will be done, thy kingdom come. I will make it come this day. It is the asking of the Lord to bring his kingdom upon this earth. 
beloved. So, beloved, we as Christians who have been called from this earth, all of us have left our city of Ur, not necessarily wherever you come from. I come from Bangor or wherever city you come from. Not, not metaphysically talking, we have left this world and all of the things of this world and we are moving while still in this world. We are expecting and waiting and looking up for something else that is to come. And we must be obedient. Day and daily. Remember Abel. Remember Enoch. Remember Noah. A worshipful faith. A daily faith. A faith that produces works in which others are saved. And acts as a condemnation against the wickedness of this world. We walk and live our lives in faith. Though we may not be appreciated. Though we might not even be recognized. And undervalued. That has no reference. Has no, no, no grip upon us as Christians. For we are not of this world. And we are not to be of this world. Now, that doesn't say that we keep ourselves in our own little cliques. You know and that. We, we form a little commune and we don't do it. And that would be cool and I would love that. But we're not going to do that. While we are in the world, we, yes, we must be a part. We, we have jobs. We have friends. We have family. We have uh, responsibility. Some of us are sit on, on boards and, and foraining at it, clubs and things like this here. We, we have things to do in this world, but we don't have to act like the people in this world while we are in those things. While we are in those clubs or workplaces or friends or family. We are to be aliens in the true and real sense. Foreigners. People are to look upon us and go, they're weird. There's something strange there. When I came to Finland way back 23 years ago, I was 97. When we moved here in 2000, I was really confused. Because you're all foreigners, you know. I'm not a foreigner, but you're all foreigners. I, I still struggle with the fact that I'm a foreigner. Um, I remember when we were living in Terry, I have a little village way out in the middle. And I, somebody said to me, so what, somebody phoned me and I was with my old Nokia brick phone. And, I, and I, they asked, so how are things going, Kyle? And I said, it's really strange. Because everyone looks like us, you know, like, like the Irish. You, don't, you know, there's not that many physical differences between us, you know, we're same color, almost the same height. But they're, it's like they're aliens. It's like outwardly they're same, but inwardly they're so different than us. What do you mean, Kyle? They're so quiet. Way back in the, in the 2000s, Finns were really quiet. Before the internet, before we had phones that we could communicate with, you know, before we had Snapchat or WhatsApp or any other group, Finns had telepathy. I was talking the, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't have any references to understand any of that. And I said, they look, but you know, we would naturally go this way, they go that way. When we naturally put something up on a shelf and kick it in the floor, you know, or the other way around, normally actually, Finns would pick something up and they actually just kick it. And I said, they're so different. I, I feel so foreign. I feel so odd. And, and I know that naturally I am odd. And we all know that. Not just because I'm Irish, because I am who I am. But 
living here, I really realized what it meant to be a foreigner. And that for people to look upon me, people would look at me and not understand. They'd be like, especially when my Swedish was so bad that when I said things, people would have to kind of work it out in their head. What's he saying? And then they go, okay. Or, you know, I remember one time that when, when I was working in Tehran and there was a table full of men and some man made a joke and I laughed and I said something in return. I don't remember the details of it. But obviously what I said was not appropriate and maybe somewhat rude. And everybody in the table completely stopped. There's like 18 men or however many men it was on the, on, on the table. And they all looked and stopped. And there you just see the question marks above everybody's head going... Did he, did he just say that? What? And I went bright red. And I was like, oh, I said the wrong thing. And I had to say, oh, can't you have, maybe I've said something wrong. And they were like, and everybody just burst into laughter around the table. And everybody clapped me in the back. So I don't even, still to this day, I don't know what I said. But the men all thought it was hilariously funny. Again, as a foreigner. Anyway, as someone who's, like, that is, in real terms, I am a foreigner and I live here and I am foreign and I am strange and I weird. But as Christians, as people who are of the faith, walking in the way of faith, even when we are among our own, must we be foreign? There must be something different about us. I used to belong to the jiu-jitsu club. We do go on jiu-jitsu camps. And in the evening times, all the men, all the jiu-jitsu, not just men, all the jiu-jitsu people would go out to the, the disco, the pub. And there they would hook up with other people and it would, be, it would be very immoral. They'd all have a great time. And what happens is jiu-jitsu camp stays in jiu-jitsu camp. We don't tell our wives or our husbands. Oh, but as a Christian, I'm completely different. I mean, I'll go and I'll have fun, but I used to say, no, I'm a Christian, don't have... And they would look at me like, I'm so foreign. Like, what are you on? Is this because you're Irish? We thought the Irish were the party people of the world. Because I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Christian. And there was a difference. And they saw the difference and they all looked at me like, are you an alien? Are you foreign? What are you thinking? Beloved, we as Christians must be different in this world. There must, the spirit of Christ within us must conflict with the spirit of the, the world. And so our faith must be a faith that's obedient. And it must be a faith that's foreign. It must be a faith that's constantly moving towards the city that is to come. That kingdom of Christ that is to come. That life that is beyond this life. See, the Bible says once again that without faith it is impossible to please God. If you were to stand before God today without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God would not be pleased with you. He would not be satisfied with you. You couldn't say, well, no, God, ah, it's me. I never did anything wrong. I never did any. I'm a good person. God would look upon you and say, do you know my son? Do you have faith in him? And your life will be examined to show for the evidence, the reality of it. Because it's not enough just to say, yes, I do. <laughs> oh, yes. I prayed a prayer sometime during my life. But was there a consistency? Was there worship? Was there daily walk? 
Were there the works of faith? Were the evidences of faith in your life? And all those things will be examined. It's not just about trying to be better in this world. It's not just trying to be comfortable in this world. The, 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 the speaker, the writer, the Holy Spirit through this author is, in, is warning us and encouraging us, commanding us to continue in our faith, not to be deceived, self-deceived. You know, we often think of the devil as the greatest deceiver in the world. We often think you know, that the, the, the devil, one of his names is the deceiver. Spiritual forces come to trick us, to entice us. But that's not true. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. Your own heart. It can tell you that you're worthless when you're not. It can tell you that you're helpless when you're not. It can tell you that you're great when you're not. It can tell you that you're fine when you're in danger. We have this great ability within ourselves to deceive ourselves, even in the face of evidence. And that's why the writer here is is encouraging us to look upon ourselves, to examine our own faith in the light of Scripture. That we might not be self-deceived, but also that we might be encouraged in ourselves. That we might see the evidences of what God has done. That we heard the call of God. That He awakened us and called us from where we were. And that we're on our way. We might not have got there yet. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They, they never actually inherited the promises. As we'll see later on. But they continued faithfully on the way. Beloved, let's look at our faith. Let's be encouraged to carry on, not to give up, not to give in, not to fall back, not to look upon ourselves. Aren't we so guilty of that all the time? Oh, look at me. I'm so bad. I'm so weak. Oh, beloved, I would have us embrace the way of weakness. I know I'm talking about that. I, I might write a book. I know people are like, what? No. I might write a book about the way of weakness. It's so, it's my life just seems to be so reinforcing that lesson. Jesus Christ does not need strong men or women. He does not need industrial people who will make empires for him. He is looking for a few good men. Again, I use the word men, but people who are weak, who are worthless, who are not special, who are dependent upon him. He rejoices in those well, who are aware of their own weakness. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the pride. Beloved, let's remember who we are, where we're from, where we're going. Let's look upon our own faith in the light of Scripture and remember to examine ourselves that we might not be deceived. We may have to repent of some small things. We may have to repent of some going this way or going that way. We might have to repent of some inaction. We might have to be restored and reconcile with God. Some of us may have to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. Have we been deceived? Or are we among those other groups of nominal or unbeliever? Beloved, that is, we live in the light of 
and the understanding that without faith it is impossible to please God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to ask your blessing. As always, Lord, we are so dependent upon you. Lord Jesus, you said that you would send the Holy Spirit to convict of righteousness, of sin of righteousness. Lord, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would open up the hearts and the minds of those who hear, that, Lord, that you would speak deep into our well-being, that, Lord, we would hear your call. For without your call, Lord, no one can come. Lord, we pray, speak as you spoke to us, as you spoke to Abraham, so speak to others. Lord, awaken them. Make them uncomfortable where they are and call them from that city of destruction and put them upon the path that leads to the celestial city, to the city of the great King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for ourselves, Lord, so often are we caught up in the things of the world. So often, Lord, are we comfortable in our lodgings, in our tents, Lord, in our places of peace. So often, Lord, do we give up and we grow weary and tired because we cannot, do not see or perceive the blessing of the Lord. Help us, O oh God, to recognize that we are called to live as foreigners in this land, that we're not building a kingdom, a kingdom of men, but, oh God, we are waiting upon that which is to come, that kingdom that is to come. Oh Lord, we ask that you would strengthen us in our weakness, that we would rest in you. The Lord, not that we would rise up and be mighty like some fictional superhero, but Lord, that we might trust in our mighty hero, him who is Jesus, the weakest of us all, yet he is able to grant us strength. Lord, we rest and, and wait upon you. Lord, we ask these things for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.